Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovee and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast. Welcome to our new listeners. I think we have a lot of them. Matt, because uh, we're now everywhere, basically, on Google Podcasts. We're on, of course, Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and now on Spotify as well. Matt Bove joining me, Sal Capaccio, and people have been clamoring for it, Matt. Get us on Spotify. That's where we are now as well. Well, that's where I listen to my podcast. It's just human nature. So when we finally got to Spotify, it was great because now we can tell everybody, okay, if you're a Spotify user, easy to find us. Just type us in the search bar and please hit that like subscribe button so we pop up every time but it's been cool this is our third episode we've gotten some really good feedback it seems like people have enjoyed it up to this point hopefully we can kind of keep that going here yeah and of course we want to let everybody know there are so many ways you can listen to it and we always want you go to to go to the odyssey app and the odyssey podcast section you know odyssey giving us tremendous support for this podcast thanks to jim stelliano who is our producer for this podcast all the bumps you hear and the music and the opening and all that He was the one that really kind of put all this together, and he does every single time. So thanks a lot, Jimmy. We appreciate that. And Matt and I have a lot to get to on the Buffalo Bills. We are recording here, just so everybody knows, transparency, on Thursday night, June 2nd. And during the day on Thursday, June 2nd, Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. So this kind of fell right into our laps for this show, Matt. And we are kind of reacting in real time. I played golf on Thursday. I go on Chopin the Bulldog on WGR. It's the first time that I was mm-hmm. able to even talk about at all Ryan Fitzpatrick retiring until right now with you on this podcast. So how did the news hit you when you first read that Ryan Fitzpatrick was retiring and how did you hear? Made me feel old, Sal. Yeah. I remember watching Fitz and he was, you know, for so many reasons, he was kind of like the face of the drought. And I don't want that to be a negative on him because he was a glimmer of hope for a little bit. Everybody loved Ryan Fitzpatrick. So to see Fred Jackson post the text message that Fitz set, and then a little bit later, Eric Wood post that everything went down. It's just crazy. Ryan Fitzpatrick, played 17 seasons in this league. He played for nine different teams. He has had a lot of stops along the way, but there is just something about Fitz in Buffalo, and he has said it time and time again. People have asked him, what's your favorite spot? What's your favorite team? And he says the Bills. He doesn't even try and hide it. And then that was on full display in the playoffs in January when the guy was shirtless in negative temperatures outside rooting for the Bills while being the quarterback of another NFL team. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a legend for Bills Mafia, and he will be fondly remembered for a long, long time. I know I've seen a couple reports out there that maybe he's going to get into the broadcast game. I hope he does because I think he's going to be exceptional at it, and uh, I wish him nothing but the best. He is amazing. There's a lot of great things about Ryan Fitzpatrick, both on and off the field, that that we can share here, I think, and Mm -hmm. um, talk about. So I'd like to do that for a moment. But before I do that, Matt, who was the first Bills quarterback you ever remember growing up? Flutie. Oh, Doug Flutie. Okay. Flutie slash Johnson would have been kind of right when I was like able to comprehend what was going on and understand and watch. I mean, how old is Max right now? Max is eight. Max is eight. Okay. So I think like the Flutie Johnson era for me would have been when I was like six, seven in that range. So that was like the first quarterbacks that I remember. I think the first quarterback that I was like really into would have been Bledsoe. 
because I was a little bit older. And then obviously, you know, we transitioned from watching the team as a fan to eventually covering the team and everything. But yeah, so the first ones for me are Flutie and Johnson. But I will say the Ryan Fitzpatrick era was right when I was in college, right when I was getting into college. And back in like 2010, that's when I graduated from high school, my friends and I all got season tickets. So the first couple of years that I had season tickets before I eventually transitioned to what I do now, Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. So a lot of memories of watching that guy inside at the time, Ralph Wilson Stadium. I was very fortunate. The first quarterback I remember right around the same age at that time for me would have been you no know, seven, eight years old was Joe Ferguson. Yeah. And then of course, right after that came Jim Kelly after a couple of down years and Kelly comes over, you know, but after Jim Kelly, that's right. right Todd Collins. And then you, you're Flutie Johnson. Mm-hmm. And since Flutie Johnson through Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, Fitzpatrick, there was a little bit after Fitzpatrick as well, but that era, that whole time kind of just, there was a revolving door of quarterbacks. Right. And I would think that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously made his mark on the organization for a lot of reasons, but the point I'm trying to make here is Ryan Fitzpatrick only played four years in Buffalo, Matt. Mm-hmm. He is number five on the all-time Bills passing <laughs> yardage list. And that just goes to show you how many quarterbacks they went through. Really, you're, you're kind of that age when that started. Because mm-hmm. I was Ferguson, then Kelly, and then there was Todd Collins. But right, right when Flutie Johnson started, that we had all these different guys. Ferguson and Kelly are atop or near the top of every list, basically, whether it's yards or touchdowns. Ryan Fitzpatrick has the fourth most touchdown passes in Buffalo Bills history. And he was just passed last year by Josh Allen, by the way, for third place. Yeah, yeah I think of Fitz, too. I mean, obviously, I think it speaks to how bad it got for a little while here with the revolving door of the quarterbacks and how he was kind of the best of the rest after the Jim Kelly era. But it also comes down to just like the type of game that this guy played and just the passion that he showed and just his personality, both on and off the field. I think that resonated with people. I think people loved the fact that he wasn't from a traditional football school. They loved that he wore his wedding ring on the field. They loved that when he scored a game winning touchdown, he threw a game winning touchdown. He screamed like a child just out of pure jubilation and I think those were all the reasons why Bills fans love Ryan Fitzpatrick so much even though it was only four years it was only 53 starts I mean that's a that's a lot but he's in the same conversation as a lot of those other legends of the drought who played twice as many games sometimes three times as many games that he did yeah, and you talk about that engaging personality. Let's uh, we we can share a couple stories here about Ryan Fitzpatrick. You gave a great story about Aaron Rodgers on our last podcast, or maybe it was the first one. Even actually, I think it yeah. was that we did. And if you haven't heard that, please go download it, subscribe to it. If you're just finding our podcast and just subscribing, we had only done two other episodes, and I think you'll enjoy them. And they're on the schedule. They're on the rookies and OTAs beginning. And Matt and I talked about a lot of stuff. So Matt shared a really cool Aaron Rodgers story. What about Ryan Fitzpatrick? What was your interaction with him you weren't necessarily covering the team I don't think at the time right I I don't think that would be the case but what do you remember about him well my favorite memories of Ryan Fitzpatrick the player would have Mm -hmm. been when I was you know in college in those back-to-back weeks week two and week three of the 2011 season that was they start the season and they just destroy Kansas City and I think that caught people off guard a little bit then week two they fall behind pretty big to the Raiders and they come back, and that's the David Nelson touchdown right at the end of the game. That's the fifth scream. They start 2-0. and Everybody's really excited. Then the next week is one of the best games of the drought, if not the best game of the drought, when they fall behind big time, 21 nothing to the Patriots, and Fitz leads them back, and then he hits Fred Jackson on that little crossing route. He takes it down, half-yard line. They run out the clock, kick the field goal, and win. So from a strictly playing standpoint, those are my two favorite Fitzpatrick stories. My favorite Fitzpatrick story as a professional actually really doesn't have anything to do with me. I just happened to witness it firsthand. So our colleague, Jerry Sullivan, was covering the Bills when Fitzpatrick was in that era. Obviously, he was over at the Buffalo News. And during the Bills wildcard game against the Patriots in January, (laughs) Jerry, I probably should ask Jerry, eh, I'm just going to say it anyway. I don't think he would care. Jerry gets a text from Fitz and it's like, hey, Look down and to your left. So for anybody who's listening to this, the press box where we watch the game, sails down on the field, we're up in the press box, is basically above the tunnel and a little bit into the corner. 
So we are on the Bills sideline side of the stadium. And Jerry Sullivan gets this text from Fitzpatrick and he's like, hey, look down and to your left. So Jerry is like, Ryan Fitzpatrick just texted me this. And he starts looking and then he FaceTimes Jerry and he's screaming without his shirt on in the freezing cold and is like, oh my God. He's like, let's go look. And you can see this guy just without a shirt on, like lifting his hands in the air going like, let's go. And I was just like, I can't believe that this dude is here. And then a couple <laughs> minutes later, the picture starts to circulate of him without the shirt on. And then fans start going up to him. And it's just like, what a legend. Like, that's just amazing that the guy just showed up to a game. No fanfare. Wasn't leading the charge. Wasn't down on the sideline with the team before the game. Just got a ticket. Showed up. Took his shirt off. Doesn't get much more Buffalo than that. Do you know the story of the Fred Jackson roast? I've heard, I've heard, I've heard from people who were there. I was not there. I've heard it was absolutely unbelievable. I was there. That is my most amazing, incredible memory of Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's nothing on the football field. It is, we used to have a roast at WGR. Maybe we will again. We haven't had it because of the pandemic or whatever, but it's been a few years and we would roast somebody. And one year we were roasting Fred Jackson. So as tradition with any roast, you bring former teammates back and people who interacted with people. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was one of the speakers to roast Fred Jackson that year. And he goes up on the dais and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, I've been to a bunch of these things, the greatest roaster ever, not simply because of what he said, he said some great things, but how he acted and what he did, Matt, he stripped down to his underwear on stage in front of people <laughs> in a big ballroom. And he had like, and then he did, he, he looks like Conor McGregor, right? He, he had the whole, he takes the shirt off. He's got the chain on. And he was literally in his underwear and he's like making fun of Fred Jackson while doing it. <laughs> and he puts on a tight Jersey. It was incredible. And people were going crazy. Now you're not supposed to take video at these things and share them. We say like, come on, you know what happens at the roast stays at the roast. Yeah. I think there is video of it out there, by the way, I just <laughs> want people to know that if they want to see it. So I have to talk. And I, when I go up to, we all at WGR get a chance to kind of roast our guest celebrity. So it's my turn to go up there and, I walk up and I got some jokes prepared for each guy on the, on the whole thing. But anyway, I go up and I start saying hi to everybody as on my way up and I'm shaking hands and Eric Woods up there, Fred Jackson's up there and Aaron Williams is up there. For some reason, I don't know what happened. I missed like shaking hands with Ryan Fitzpatrick on my way up. So I get to the podium and I look and Fitzpatrick like standing there and he's got his like shrugging his shoulders like, dude, like, why did you shake my hand? What, what's wrong with me here? And stupidly, I, I, I thought of the joke afterwards. In that moment, what I should have done was look right at Ryan Fitzpatrick and say, Ryan, I'm sorry, I couldn't shake your hands or else I'd probably be pregnant already. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have right? been really good. Yeah, because we all know, good. right, what he was, he have like seven kids, six yep. kids. I don't, I think it's one or the other. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And my apologies for not knowing the exact number, but it, you know, the, the joke is he has one for every city he played in or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, he was, he's great. And on the field, I will tell you, those are great memories you talked about. Covering him was great. I think what I want everybody to know, though, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as incredible of a personality and as fun-loving and family-oriented and engaging as he is, was one of the most ultra-competitors you will ever meet and know. And I don't think people think of him like that, Matt, because of everything else we just talked about. But that guy, when that team lost, would wear it on his sleeve. He would wear it on his face. And you could tell that's a big reason why his teammates loved him. And listen, I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't three months ago that I was sitting here on Twitter and on the TV basically saying Ryan Fitzpatrick should be the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills this year. And it would be the perfect way of it all coming full circle because that competitive nature that he has is something that Josh Allen also has. And I don't know, maybe Case Keenum's the same way. He probably is. Case Keenum's obviously younger. He's probably going to be here for a couple of years. It makes sense what they did. And I think I understand why. But I was hammering the table like Fitzpatrick would be the perfect backup. This guy can still play. Some fans were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wherever Ryan Fitzpatrick goes, the starter always seems to get hurt. So we do not want that to happen. But I think it would have been cool. And I think that there's a reason his teammates have always spoken so highly of him. And that's because of one, the competitive nature he showed two, his personality. And maybe more than anything, he never took himself too seriously. 
This is a guy who's brilliant. He went to Harvard. He made a ton of money in the league. Like he could be a different person than he is, but he's like the most down to earth athlete that it seems like any of these guys ever played with. And I think that resonates with people. And I think the shame of it all is, uh, and look, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's had a nice NFL career. How many people would do anything to have a, what, 18-year career, I think it is, total? Yep. He never played in a playoff game. Mm-hmm. I think he has the most games ever played without a player playing in the playoffs. I think that's the case. And Tequil Spikes was up there, too, but I think that's the case. It might. I don't think it's just quarterbacks, but that's the shame of it all. You know, and the Bills had a hand in that, by the way, not only because he was on poor Bills teams, they beat the Jets the one I year that the Jets came to Buffalo and a chance to make the playoffs, right? I mean, that was a that was a big deal. But I think that's the only thing that, you know, it's kind of soured on it. And I will say this, too. I felt bad for him when he was pulled for Tua, and they were playing really well yep. with him they were. in Miami that, that first half of that season. It was kind of one of those strange situations where the Dolphins needed to figure out what Tua was as they continue to try and develop as a team. But – at that time, Fitzpatrick was playing great football. Was it the Raiders game? He came in and he threw the pass where his helmet was like covering his face and he was yeah. falling to the ground and they ended up winning that game. Or maybe I don't maybe they lost that game, but that play still I don't remember exactly. But no, he was playing good football. And I think that he would have played good football with Washington if he didn't get hurt at the beginning of last season. So I think he still definitely has game left in him, but he's got a big family. He's accomplished a lot. If there is an opportunity on the TV side of things, the radio side of things, take it. You've earned you've earned a chance to not take the physical toll that the NFL puts on your body. I'm very fortunate to work on the radio side of things with Eric Wood for a lot of reasons, but one of them is to get to know Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit through Eric Wood. Ryan and Eric are very, very close. They're basically best friends, and the stories that he's told me about Fitzpatrick and you know, that playoff game, he came in the booth. I didn't see him that day. He came in during halftime to come see Eric. I was down in the field. But we wish Ryan Fitzpatrick um, all of the best in his next endeavors in his life and raising his kids and being around them. And he's earned it. He, Like you said, he, he's he's done everything uh, that I think a lot of people would expect him to be able to do it, and a lot more, I should say, in his NFL career coming from where he came from. So congratulations to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back to It Is Always Game Day in Buffalo. This was a big week for OTAs. This is the third week of OTAs. They've got one more week left, and then it's time for mandatory minicamp. We've talked about a lot of the different OTA storylines up to this point. Where's Jordan Poyer? How does Josh Allen look? But this week was unique because two things happened. One, we got to hear from Ken Dorsey for the first time since he was hired as the Bills offensive coordinator back in February. He had some interesting things to say. And Sal, maybe more important than any of it, we finally got to see Punt God. We did, and you're the one that took kind of the viral video that's been going around. I believe even Pat McAfee quote-tweeted your tweet with the video, but a lot of people have. But mm-hmm. when you get quote-tweeted by Pat McAfee about a punter, that's saying something, and that's because Matariza actually had a really, really high and long punt. Now, since then, it's kind of been like the Zapruder film where everyone's been dissecting every single millisecond yep. of it. I had it at like 4.9 to 5.0 seconds of hang time. That's in the air. Now, I don't exactly know when it went out of bounds, but Mm -hmm. Matt, it was a monster punt. That doesn't mean every one of his punts were like that. You did shoot a lot of his punts. What else did you see from him, and what about that punt specifically? You've got pretty good reflexes based off of your timing because I have it down frame by frame because I can take the video because we shot it and put it in our editing system. So in our editing system, it is 4.86 seconds of hang time. 
So just under five. We're talking about milliseconds here. And from my vantage point, it looks. Now, once again, it's a little tricky to tell because of the video and because obviously I'm looking at it from you know the viewfinder of a camera. It looks like it was about 78 yards. It was with the wind. That is important in this context. Mm-hmm. That being said, I did shoot a lot of his punts. That's the one that I posted because as I was shooting it, I was like, oh my God. Like, did that actually just happen? That was an absolute boot. So I posted it. It's got like 500,000 views, half a million views. So obviously, Bills fans are really into the whole punt competition thing going into this summer. He had some other punts that were not nearly as good, some that didn't have as much hang time, some that didn't go as far. I mean, that's to be expected. Like, this guy is still kind of just trying to figure out what's going on. This is the first time we've had a chance to see him punt. And I think that we've made a lot of the whole holding conversation. Like, is this guy going to be able to hold? I think he's going to probably be able to figure that out. But the hang time is also relevant because you want to be able to not give up big returns. And even if he kicks it really, really far, that means it's going to take everybody on the coverage team a little bit longer to get down the field, and that potentially gives the returner a chance if it's not up in the air. So I think it was a pretty jaw-dropping thing, and it takes me back to the same thing we were talking about in the last episode with Tyler Bass. The first time we saw Tyler Bass kick, he wasn't making all of them. He was missing some of them, but it was like, wow, this guy can make them from 60 yards. You're like, okay, wow, this is what this guy can do. Let's see how he continues to improve, especially in the offseason here. So Matt Hawk also punted. Let's put this into context with him. He punted with the wind. He punted against the wind. I mean, from what I saw, and I was not maybe watching as many punts as you, I do have video of Matariza, I actually focused on him. I was watching his follow through and things like that. I was more focused on like his process and his operation. You were mm-hmm. following the ball a little bit, but what you saw from Matt Hawk and Matariza, would you say that one was any clearly better than the other necessarily on that day? No, but I also probably wasn't watching it as closely as maybe I was watching more Ariza than I was right. watching Hawk, which is, you know, maybe I should have been paying more attention to him, but I, I kind of feel like I know what he is after last year. Sure. Maybe it was just a bad year. Maybe it's a situation where he didn't get as, you know, as many punts as he's used to because he was on such prolific offense and it was a little bit trickier for him to get into a rhythm. I wouldn't say though that like Matt Ariza is an absolute lock to win the job. Because I think most Bills fans are like, well, just cut Hawk now. Like, Arise is your guy. I wouldn't go to that point yet because Hawk's specialty is his ability to punt the ball with a lot of hang time, and that's why they brought him in. That's something that they value because Bajorquez was more of the bomber, but he had a hard time pinning teams back and putting them in their 20. It felt like every time that guy punted, he just kicked it out of the back of the end zone. So they were clearly looking for something different when they signed Hawk last year. Ariza, I still think, is going to be the favorite. I still think he's probably going to win the job because you've got so many factors. Cost-controlled contract, obviously super raw talent, the ability to let him continue to grow as a player, but I don't think it's over. And I think some people have seen that video and they're like, oh, like this competition's yeah. over. Not I yet. Mean, and, and look, it's a, it's a tremendous punt, but there were a lot of punts that day, and he had a couple that were uh, pretty so-so, mm-hmm. and Matt Hawk had some nice punts and some ones that were pretty so-so. I will also point out, we did not see Matt Ariza hold. No. Now, we make the point, I agree with you. I'm sure it's something he can figure out, but there are a lot, there are a lot of nuances to it, and it's going to come down to what Tyler Bass likes. It's got to be everything, the operation between Reed Ferguson and him and Tyler Bass. But on this particular day, we did not see him hold. And I wonder, Matt, do you think when we're out there, the media, that it's intentional not to have Matt Ariza hold because it becomes a story, especially if there's something he messes up? Oh, yeah. I think that's why after they even they did the punts that they did, the group of the special teams guys, were, so we're talking about Hawk, Ariza, Bass, and Ferguson ran into the field house and continued to work into the field house. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was guessing, I would say that's probably what they were working on. But we don't know for sure because we're not in the field house. But I, do th- I don't know necessarily if it's intentional, but it might just be one of those things where it, it happens to work out that way because when the special teams guys are using the field, then that takes away the field from the offense or the defense or whoever else happens to be out on that field at that time. So I don't know if it's necessarily intentional. It's convenient. And I'm sure at some point we're going to have to see how it all plays out. I don't know if that's going to be when they're in Orchard Park, but when we're in Rochester at St. John Fisher, you really can't hide it. There's three fields. And they're all outside. There's not a field house there. So I'm sure we'll probably see some of it there. And then we'll definitely start to see it more and more as we get farther into the offseason. It's funny because it is still 
voluntary off-season OTAs right. at this point. It was definitely voluntary uh, when we were out there for Josh Allen. We'll get to that in a little while, but a little bit more on what we saw and what we heard this week at OTAs on Tuesday. We're going to be out there as the media again, I believe, next week on Tuesday. They're going to have four sessions, actually, next week. It's the one week they're allowed four sessions. The, the NFL rules are weird. They get three every week. They get four for one week, and then they'll have a mandatory minicamp. But uh, Matt Bove, Sal Capaccio will be out there next Tuesday. In the meantime, when we were out there last Tuesday, we heard from Ken Dorsey. First time we've heard from him as an offensive coordinator. I have to be honest, Matt. I think it's the first time we've heard from him at all as an assistant coach yeah. of the Buffalo Bills. Like, I, I, I've shared this story a couple times on the radio. The only, like, true interaction I remember with Ken Dorsey since he's been hired is at the Jim Kelly Golf Gala in the hotel, like, in, okay. the, in the ballroom. Yeah. Like, him and I were just passing, hey, coach, how you doing? It was literally, he was just hired a couple months before that. I introduced myself. We chatted a little bit, talked about his Miami Hurricane playing days. Then the pandemic hit, and I don't think we heard from him maybe that year at training camp a little bit, but this is the first time I, we heard from Ken Dorsey. Yeah, I don't remember any time that we've heard from him in like a formal setting. Right. I know that over the years we've talked to different members of the offense who are like, oh, yeah, Dorsey's awesome. He's a ton of fun. He's got a ton of energy. I think when we finally heard from him, and then we start to, because it's natural, it's human nature. Like you hear from him, and then you start to ask some of the players on the offense about him because you're curious from both sides of it. And the word that just has been continually, continuously brought up with Dorsey is how competitive he is. Yes. Gabriel Davis even joked that, like, yeah, he's going to figure out if he's going to be a press or on the field, but we're going to make him be up in the press box because he is just such a fierce competitor that he would get himself in trouble and he would get our emotions way too high if he was actually down on the field with us. So obviously that's something that he and Brian Dable both have in common, just how competitive they are. And that's why it has been such a solid fit with Josh Allen these last couple of years. I think he kind of said all the right things. I don't think it's the point yet where we're like, okay, you know, how much, how often do you want to use 11 personnel or how often are you going to be running the ball? Like we're, we're still in the point of OTAs where you don't have your full team there. You don't have your full playbook out yet. Like there's a lot of things that still have to happen. So for me, it was more of like a, what's your general approach. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was looking for from when we talked to him. I wanted to learn more about him. I just wanted yeah. to know about him. Like I had not spoken to him. And one of the things I was interested in is exactly what kind of personality he is. We just had Brian Dable here for four years. We are spoiled as an offensive coordinator to talk to, right? I mean, that guy, yeah. th look it. I, I've lived through a lot of Buffalo Bills coaches. You have too and covered them. And there's a lot of people who aren't very good or don't want to talk to the media in, in, when it comes to a microphone or a camera. Brian Dable is not one of them. He was very good oh. at it. And he knew exactly how to speak with us. And he was engaging. He was energetic. He would, he would seek us out sometimes to talk to us, right? And say hi at practice or pregame. I was interested. What is Ken Dorsey like? I have to tell you, I was super impressed. I did not expect. I thought I'd get a much more reserved person mm -hmm. than I got when we were there in that media room talking with Ken Dorsey. I think he showed a spirit. And yes, Mitch Morse said the Holy Spirit comes out in him sometimes <laughs> when he's on the field. But we saw a spirit. We saw an energy. I thought we had honesty from him as much as he could to be mm -hmm. as forthcoming. We didn't ask him to give us the playbook, of course. But um, I agree with you. I, I wanted to hear about philosophies and background and relationships but more than anything to me it was what's this guy about and i was pretty impressed with it yeah we have actually been spoiled because brian dable was awesome and leslie frazier is awesome and he makes you feel really good about yourself sal or me you know we'll ask a question and he'll be yeah. like well sal that's a very good question. And then he'll give you a really good, thoughtful answer. And you're like, okay, thanks, Leslie. That makes me feel good about my question. But with <laughs> Dorsey, I did appreciate the Talladega Nights reference. Okay, perfect. He's funny. He's relatable. I like that. And I also liked that he said, like, listen, I don't know how many times we're going to run it. I don't know how many times we're going to pass it. We're going to do whatever we need to do to get one more point or more than our opponent. However that happens, we're going to make sure that it happens. And then when we talked to Gabriel Davis, he was like, Dorsey loves to throw the ball. He's a quarterback. Like He loves the passing game, and he wants to attack every single play. And I think that's what Bills fans want to hear too. They want to see a lot of the similar things we've had these last couple of years because the team has been very successful. 
with maybe a couple wrinkles thrown in. And also, we didn't talk to him, but I finally went over to kind of like the offensive line area, just just kind of see how things are playing out over there. And it was like, oh yeah, Aaron Cromer's here too. Like Aaron Cromer is another change right. that this team is going to have to figure out. And Bobby Johnson was a fiery guy, but Aaron Cromer is also a fiery guy. So it's not just adjusting to Dorsey. It's adjusting to Dorsey and to Cromer and to Matt Smiley, the new special teams coordinator, and Joe Brady, the quarterback coach. Like There are some changes this year, but the thing that we keep coming back to is sometimes change is good. Sometimes some fresh ideas mixed with the success you've already had leads to even more success. And so our listeners know, in case they didn't know this, the Talladega Knights reference was in uh, response to a question about overseeing the entire offense and not just quarterbacks. He goes from one room to basically everybody. He's got to be in charge of everybody. He's got to go from position to position. He's got to see what's going in and checking in. And here's his quote. Ken Dorsey said, quote, honestly, there's sometimes where it's like that Talladega Knights where I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> uh, and then he, and he lifts up his hands basically. And he says, sometimes you're like, what am I supposed to do right now? More so like individual on the field you kind of end up walking in a circle. So, yeah, that was very good. And um, I appreciated him in a lot of the ways that he said some some things. I, I asked him a question about when he played at Miami. Now, the Miami Hurricanes of the early 2000s were one of the greatest teams ever in college sports, in college football especially. They had a lot of first-round picks. They had so much talent on offense. The quarterback of that team was Ken Dorsey for three years. He left college, I believe, as the winningest quarterback all time in college football. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't considered like this. I don't even think he, he wasn't a Heisman Trophy finalist. He didn't win one. Like he wasn't considered. They didn't win because of him, right? He had all this talent around him. So I asked him a question about what did you learn from all that talent you had around you and how you had to distribute the ball or whatever. Now that you come into a situation, we have all this talent in Buffalo, right? He's not walking into a rebuilding situation as an offensive no. coordinator. And he said, and I think this should make Bills fans feel good. He said, I learned to let your playmakers make plays, put them in space, and don't overcomplicate it. Just know that you got to let your playmakers make plays, basically. I loved that. And on the heels of that, Gabriel Davis, an hour later, tells us, or whatever, a couple hours later, says, Dorsey wants to attack every play. He doesn't want to sit back. I think that should give Bills fans a lot more hope and enthusiasm who may have been thinking that something was going to get dialed back here with the offense. The thing that I want to see, and we will, time will tell. We won't even know this a month into the season. We might not even know this after his entire season. I do want to know how he works with Sean McDermott mm -hmm. and how much of it is, this is what I want to do, and how much of it is, well, this is what my boss wants me to do. And that was something that we talked about a lot last year with Brian Dable. And why is this team trying to establish the run? And why is this team trying to do things this way when we know their bread and butter is this way? And I think a healthy balance is ultimately what's best for the Bills, but at the same time, Ken Dorsey needs to do what Ken Dorsey thinks is going to help this team. And I think Sean, especially after the success they had later in the year last year, probably knows that at this point. He was asked about the ownership that Josh Allen has of the offense. He said you'd be crazy not to get the quarterback's input or other guys on the team. He mm -hmm. wants input from his players. He also said there's going to be times where maybe Josh or them want something or they want to go in a different direction and he's going to say, no, it's got to be this way. And he's going to explain why it's got to be this way. And I think that's good for anybody in those situations to have that communication piece. How many times have we heard Sean McDermott talk about the communication of the room, and how important that is. The other point I'll make on this before we move on after Dorsey here is there was a lot made about where he will be calling plays. And I think mm -hmm. rightfully so to kind of think about that right now. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. what's he going to do? He doesn't know yet. He doesn't know if he's going to be on the field. He doesn't know if he's going to be in the press box. I mean, heck, Brian Dable, he actually did both throughout his time in yep. Buffalo. He was on the field, then he went to the press box. And I just want to tell people out there that even though I think on the surface it seems that being up in the press box is probably better for most coordinators, and you see a lot of these guys doing it, and they're a controlled environment, and they have their head clear, and they see the field. Let's remember, Ken Dorsey is a quarterback. Mm -hmm. He has been on the field and battling his whole life as a player and even as a coach, as an assistant coach. That would be foreign to him. Now, I'm not saying he won't do it. I'm not saying he won't prefer it. But I could see, Matt, if he says, I have to be on the field. That's my element. That's where I'm comfortable talking with my players. That's where I'm comfortable seeing things. You never know when guys get in that situation where they maybe go to a different spot and say, I just can't do this. So I'm going to leave it open here to say, I don't know what he's going to wind up doing. Do whatever works. 
I don't care where you do it. Do whatever works. If you start the year in the press box and you win a bunch of games in a row, stay in the press box until you lose and then go down to the field and try it down there. If it's the other way, that's great too. As long as you're comfortable, and maybe more important than anything, as long as Josh Allen is comfortable, go from wherever you feel, man. All right. On Wednesday night this past week, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers competed in the match on TNT. A golf match for charity. They raised a lot of money, and they had a lot of fun, it seemed like. I know you're a golfer. We've talked about that. We all know that. I know you were watching this whole thing. Did it Did it hit you right? I mean, was it too overdone? Was it cheesy? I mean, just the whole production of it, how'd it go for you? Oh, I thought it was perfect. I was thoroughly entertained. Like, this is one of those times when I was just kind of watching as a fan of sports, as a fan mm-hmm. of football, as a fan of golf. I'm like, okay, here it is. We've got the four best quarterbacks in the NFL out playing golf. I thought it was incredibly relatable for anybody who's watching them. This is the most relatable we will ever be as normal people to professional athletes. When they hit a bad shot, you're like, wow, I hit bad shots. They're just like us. I thought it was really entertaining. I thought it was kind of exactly what I expected. I thought maybe the trash talk, would there would be a little bit more trash talk, but at the same time, the cameras don't show everything. You know, there's four different people. They're focusing a lot of times on one individual person, and they're having the talk back there. So I'm sure there's trash talk that was missed, but I thought from start to finish, it was really entertaining, and I think that if you're a Bills fan, a Chiefs fan, a Bucks fan, or a Packers fan, you probably absolutely loved it, and if you're just a fan of football or golf, you probably still enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was done pretty well, and as far as the trash talk, you're right, probably maybe a little bit more uh, was expected. I did like Josh Allen's line about Aaron Rodgers. He said he's good at golf. That's what happens when you don't go to OTAs, right? That was a pretty cool line. Um, Tom Brady hits it and says, I hit that a little chunky, or as I <laughs> like to say, a little Josh Allen-y, right? I mean, making fun of him. And Josh is Josh is the biggest dude of the four, though, right? I mean, they're sitting on set with Ernie Johnson. Josh Allen, I'm not saying like tall. He's taller, but he's just thicker. You could tell. He's he's the biggest guy of the four, which was pretty noticeable when I saw that. Oh, especially like at the round table when the four of them were yes. sitting there and you're like, wow, I saw a great tweet. I don't know who tweeted it, so I'm sorry that I'm not giving you credit. But somebody was like, why doesn't Josh Allen just eat the other three of them and then just go out and win the competition himself? And I was like, wow, that's really, really funny. But yeah, I mean, he's a fr- he's a freak athlete. A couple things that stood out to me from a strictly golf standpoint, I was really impressed with Patrick Mahomes. I didn't know what to expect Mm -hmm. from him. I was like, okay, he's Patrick Mahomes. He's an elite athlete, baseball player, football player. I'm sure he's going to be a good golfer because he's a great athlete. He's a better golfer than I thought he would be. I knew Rodgers was good from watching the last match, so I was kind of expecting that. And I had absolutely no doubts that that guy was making that putt on the 12th hole. Like if I could have bet every dollar in my bank account on it, I would have. I was like, that's going in. There's no way that this guy is missing that. Um, And then, you know, Brady is kind of what I expected, especially from seeing the last match. There was a couple good shots mixed in, but some bad ones too. I think Josh was probably like the worst golfer of the group, but I also still think Josh is a pretty good golfer. Like that's got to be really hard to do. Like a lot of people are like, oh, wow. You know, I thought he was better than this. It's a lot harder to do that in that setting with all of these people watching you, with those people who you're going against, like I'm sure Josh Allen is playing a much better round of golf when he's out with his buddies on a random Saturday afternoon at his home course. Like it's got to be very tough to be in that situation. And I by no means think he like embarrassed himself or anything no. like that. I thought he held his own. I thought he made some nice shots. And I think that putt at the end would have been it would have been so fitting for it to go in. It would have been just like so Josh Allen, wait until the end and make this unbelievable play. But he came up just short. A little wide right on the cup, Sal. Oh, a little wide no, right. You can't say that. Can't say that. You're <laughs> right. And it was, um, it was a really competitive match. And I think that's actually why we didn't have the, <clears throat> we didn't have the trash talk maybe as much mm-hmm. when those guys tied it. I think it got a little more competitive, and everybody was kind of dialed in on what they were trying to do, a little strategic mm-hmm. and things like that. Shout out to Bills Mafia too, Matt. They were they showed up. Um, Amanda Renner was the on-site reporter, on-course reporter, if you will, for TNT. And she made note, she said, there are more Bills fans here than any other team. I mean, that's what we expect, right? That's what we know. I, I, there's people out there. I know of people who literally flew out there just to go and watch this. Yeah, it's I actually, amazing. 
Yeah, of course. I actually got a video from my mom on Thursday afternoon, and it was of Josh Allen hitting the guy in the head and Josh going up to the guy. And it's like, why, why are you sending me this video? And because it's like the typical Buffalo thing. Like, oh, somebody I work with was there and they sent me this video and it's been going around the office and it happened right in front of them. Because, yeah, Bills fans, any chance that they get, they want to go support their guy or support their team. And it felt like after every tee shot, we heard somebody in the background say like, I love Josh Allen or like, go Bills or something like that. And I would expect nothing less, especially because, you know, Perino has told us this in the past. He spent some time in Vegas. Buff, there's a lot of Buffalo transplants in Vegas for whatever, oh, yeah. for whatever reason. So I'm sure if you're from Buffalo and you live in Vegas, this was a no brainer to go to. Yeah. Vegas, Charlotte, and maybe the Tampa area, I think might be the three like biggest places Bills fans have, have migrated to uh, and have lived over the years. I remember being in Southwest Florida. There's a ton of Buffalo transplants there as well. So not a surprise that that happened. You know, I'm watching the match with Max, who's eight years old, and he's we're watching Josh up there with the other three quarterbacks. And I said, Max, you know, you're living in a time which is so cool that the quarterback of the team you root for is a superstar. Like, and, and he's going to be for a while, right? And look, I, I grew up with, with Jim Kelly. I was in high school and in college when Jim Kelly was the quarterback of the Bills. Jim Kelly appeared in a lot of things. When when things were going down, like you might see Jim Kelly at some sort of star gala, especially maybe a, a Dan Marino has a golf tournament, and of course Jim's there. John Elway's there, and of course Jim is there. Maybe there's some sort of you know um, red carpet thing going on, and Jim is there. We live in a different space now where all this stuff is always happening. There's all these different events, social media. As big as Jim was, I don't know. I think Josh has, because of all of these different plet- these avenues to go and be on, I think Josh has become maybe the number one, probably since OJ Simpson, and that's a little before me, but OJ was basically that guy, that superstar on TV all the time. 100%. I tweeted yesterday. This is the exact tweet. It's still nuts to me that the Bills have a quarterback good enough to be a part of an event like this because this is not something people here are used to. If you're a Packers fan, you've spent a lot of time with superstar quarterbacks, whether it be Rodgers or Favre before him or or Bart Starr, if you want to go far that far back. If you're, you know, a Bucks fan, yeah, you've had Brady the last couple of years, but the Patriots had him for 20 years, and it was like, yeah, everywhere you look, there's this guy. For the Chiefs, it's just a little bit longer with Mahomes. But now for the – I mean, when you talk about superstar athletes in the NFL, Josh Allen is at the top of the list. When you talk about superstar athletes in the United States – he is still very high on that list. There are very few guys who at this point in time have stronger name recognition than Josh Allen. And it's kind of like the, he's young, he's fun. The brand of football that he plays is incredibly exciting. He plays for this fan base, Bill's Mafia. People are super, super into it. They jump through flaming tables and they have all these great tailgates. It's just kind of like the perfect blend and it all works really, really well. I I think I heard you talking about this on the radio. When you were on your golf trip, you were saying like people from all around the country, they're like, this Josh Allen guy is legit. And it's kind of been the same thing in my travels these last couple of years. When you go to these other cities and you talk to these other fan bases, people are like, I adore, unless you're a fan of probably the Dolphins, the Patriots, or the Jets, most people are like, I really like Josh Allen. That dude is a gamer. With a game on the line, that dude will sacrifice his body. He'll sacrifice his, you know, whatever it needs to do to make the play. So when you have all of that, you have the success on the field, not the Super Bowl yet, but you have a lot of success on the field, and you have the personality that he does off of the field. It all makes sense that he can thrive in a setting like this. As a guy your age who grew up when you did in the time period of Buffalo Bills football, I understand you're supposed to be a professional journalist, so please forgive me for this question. Like, mm-hmm. Did you grow up hating Brady? It's funny. I did, but then I, when I hit like a certain age, I didn't. When I think right. when I was like – like a teenager I was like oh I hate Tom Brady and then I think as I got into like my late teens and early 20s even before I was a journalist and I was covering the NFL and the team 
I was like, I think the only reason I hate this guy is because he's super good. Right. I don't have, like, I don't have a legit, I don't have a legit reason to hate he him. He beats your team all the time. That's why. like, he once said that his view out of a hotel room in Buffalo wasn't great. Like I could have told you that too, when I live here. So <laughs> let's not all pretend like he was lying. So yeah, it's weird. Like I think when I was younger, I was like, Oh my God, I hate Tom Brady. He's a system quarterback for Belichick and anybody would be able to hit Edelman and Welker and Gronk and Randy Moss and all these guys. And then as I got older, I was like, Oh, he's just unreal. And now I think a lot of even bills fans are starting to turn a little bit where they're like, wow, he's kind of funny. He says some things that are really, really interesting. Maybe it was just don't step too far out of bounds with Bill Belichick as your coach. And now that you're in the box on the box, you can, you know, be a little bit more free and social media has evolved and stuff over time. So I, I know a lot of people still hate Tom Brady um, as like, a fan of just football, I certainly don't feel that way. I think watching the match, if you really don't like Tom Brady, you probably dislike him even more. Mm-hmm. And if you like Tom Brady, you'll like him even more. I bet you that whichever side you were on on Brady, watching the match made you go even more to that side. Um, I've never really hated Brady, and I've always said I just I, I respect his greatness. He's just been amazing. I'm actually a, I'm a real big fan of Man in the Arena, the um, the mm-hmm. documentary. That, that they've done on him. And I've talked about that on the radio a lot. Like, I just think that what he's put in this game is, is incredible in his achievements and watching him though, it was a little bit, you know, getting after Josh Allen a little bit. I just, I love the personality coming out like that. I actually enjoyed a little bit. You know, I think that um, Rogers can be a little, a little gruff, you know what I mean? And he doesn't come off as well as the other guys sometimes, but I didn't You're mind telling me. That setting. Yeah, <laughs> You're that's telling right. me. That's right. Go back. Let's go back to go back to our, uh, our conversation a couple episodes ago. No doubt about that. I think it's, and sorry, I don't want to, but I think it's a sign of respect too. Like I think Tom Brady poking Josh Allen as much as he, I mean, it's not like it was a ton. It's not like it was nonstop, but in the settings that he did in the situations that he did, I think that's a sign of respect because I don't think that's what you do to somebody that you don't think is an absolute superstar who is going to be a really great quarterback in this league for a long time. So if you're a Bills fan and you're like, I can't stand Tom Brady. He showed Josh Allen a golf ball with the Lombardi trophy on it and said, you ever see one of these? Like, that's not a joke that you make to somebody that you don't like and respect. So as Tom Brady gets to the end of his NFL career, whenever it is, and then he's somebody who becomes the face of broadcasting because he's immediately getting into that, I think there's going to be a lot of praise from Brady. And I also think that the relationship that happens on this golf course, I think also benefits Josh down the road because this is now an even stronger relationship that he has with this guy where he can maybe call him up and say like, all right, I'm having a problem with this. What do you think? Because that happens in the league a lot. I don't know if fans realize that these guys talk to each other and work on their craft with each other a lot, even if they're on different teams, because there is such a mutual respect for each other and they all understand what, you know, they're all going through. No doubt about it. Matt, before um, we wrap things up here, I want to throw something at you that um, I noticed I happen to come across and I don't know if you've seen this or not. I actually talked about it on the extra point show on WGR, the show I do with uh, sneaky Joe DiBiase. And it's, uh, it's from a site called bookies.com, another betting site. And what they've done is they've actually ranked every single NFL game from 1 through 272 on most watchable to least watchable. That's really cool. Regular season, right? And they have a, a scorecard how they do it, right? They mm-hmm. go basically like projected wins between the two teams, how good they're going to be, um, their, stand, their odds to win the Super Bowl, and then geographic rivalries, national TV, storylines, potential weather, home field advantage, lots of things that kind of went into making this up. Yeah, But what was interesting to me was um, the Buffalo Bills are listed as having four of the 15 most watchable games in the NFL, according to this bookies.com site. Can I guess? That's why I'm asking you. Okay. And so Bills. Including, including the number one game. Yep. What I'm do assume- you think that is? Bills Chiefs is number one. Bills Chiefs is number one. Bills at Chiefs week six. six it actually, it looks like it was tied, but they gave it the number one ranking um, overall in this. Bills Rams. That is the number three game overall. Actually, very good so far. The Bills have the number one, the number three. They also have the number eight game overall, most watchable. Bills Packers. Yes, you are three for three, Matt. Wow. Okay. Bills, now, Packers. Okay. The all right. Now the pressure is on. This one. All right. This is the number fifteen most watchable game. 
in the NFL this year, according to bookies.com, tied for the 15th most watchable game. Bills Ravens. Incorrect. Oh, in okay. Fact, the Ravens do not appear in any of the top 25. Wow, really? I'm surprised right. by that. Just because of Lamar. I'm yes. surprised. By, uh, okay, so the other games that I was thinking as we moved down the list was Bills, Bengals, and I was also thinking Bills, Titans, because I feel like a lot of people give the Titans more respect than probably I do, but I'm going to go with Bills, Bengals. It is Bills, Bengals, so you got it on that one. Yeah, it's Four out of five is not bad. Not bad. You did a great job. Um, it's loaded with the same teams here. It's Bills Chiefs, then Packers Bucks, Bills Rams, Chiefs Broncos. Broncos are everywhere on this. Cowboys yeah. Packers, Rams Bucks, Chiefs Bucks, Packers Bills. Um, yeah, the, the there's a lot of the same teams. And then you go to the least watchable games, the 25 most unwatchable games, basically. The Bills are not on the list whatsoever, Matt. They do not have any one of these games. I would imagine the same teams over and over again. Houston, Jacksonville, maybe the Jets. The, the, those are probably the teams That's that are exactly just exactly right. Yeah. The Texans are the number one team, like overall. Like they have like five of the top, like fifteen most on unwa- five of the top eight. Maybe it's. Do you want to guess? Like I, I'll tell you this. I'll try and give you a hint. I, don't, I know you don't know the Houston Texans schedule necessarily. Mm-hmm. Texans are involved in the most unwatchable game according to this, and it's not a division game. Okay. What do you think it is? Um, it's not a division game. Is it an AFC or an NFC game? Can you tell me that? NFC game. Okay. That's kind of kind of what I was leaning. I'll say Houston, who is a really bad team in the NFC. Ugh. I don't think it would be an NFC East team just because right. they're still the NFC East. I would maybe guess something from the NFC North, but uh, I'm going to say Houston Bears. You got it right. Let's the go. Texans and the Bears are Let's listed go. as the least watchable game in the NFL, Let's followed go. by Lions-Jets, Bears-Falcons, Texans-Jags, and then Jags-Texans on the rematch, Texans-Giants, and a weird one for me, Falcons-Seahawks at number eight. I think it's probably just because nobody knows what the Seahawks <laughs> are going to be. I mean, and nobody really knows what the Falcons are going to be either, for that matter. That's going to be a, a blah game. Not a lot of fantasy football interests in that game. No doubt about it. All right. Well, listen, uh, nice talking to you once again, and we're going to do it again very soon. Obviously, tell everybody where they can uh, catch all of those Bills OTA highlights, including <laughs> Hunt God once again, Matt Ariza. Twitter, Matt underscore Beauvais, and then, of course, on Channel 7 every night at 5, 6, and 11 o'clock. Yeah, and uh, we want to welcome all of our new subscribers. We appreciate it. Please download, subscribe, follow, however you have to do it on Apple, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please write us a nice review. We'd appreciate that as well. At Sal Sports on Twitter for me. Until the next time, Matt and I, we're going to be back out at uh, OTAs next week, and we'll talk to you again and tell you everything that we saw and heard out at One Bills Drive.